1: It's the BritFlix.com podcast. It's the BritFlix.com podcast. Welcome to another BritFlix 5 Great British Horror Films podcast. This is... uh, Still an early-going early, early going series, but it's been fun while they've happened. So while I can do it, I'm going to reach out to friends, filmmakers and the like. And today I've got a friend and a filmmaker in uh, David Mole. Hello, David. Hello, Stuart. Well, welcome to the show. I'll just do a quick run-through on the format so people know what's happening, so I don't think I'm being rude. We're mm-hmm. going to talk about five British horror films... And we're not going I'm not, to, I'm not asking guests to come on and say, right, what are the definitive five best? What we are doing is five that you find interesting that, that are interesting to talk about, but also to alert the audience to, 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 that there's something worth looking out for, and, and we'll get into why that is. But we will be restricting each film to 10 minutes, so I'll have a counter going, and when we reach the end of that 10 minutes, whether whether I like it or not, regardless of where we're going, I'll have to stop us and we'll move on to the next film. All right? Yep. Cool. Right, then. First out the traps on your list of five is 1960s Peeping Tom.
0: Yes. Uh, Well, first of all, I want to talk about the list. I'm not going to name the other ones. We'll do that as we're going on. Okay. people can be surprised what they are but you know, uh, when you first put this to me, um, I was intrigued because I'm not what you would consider your archer title horror guy, or even a genre guy you know, Mm -hmm. and so I could have quite easily named the five films that I'm sure other people have named you know, Witchfinder General, The Wicker Man Don't Look Now, and so I've kind of come come at it from a different angle. And, you know, bizarrely, I've just read an article and saw you commenting on it. And I know it's one of your book bears of, like, this idea of, like, oh, it's not a horror film because it's, like, it's got critical support. And there was that Guardian article today about the stupid term post-horror. Yeah, yeah, yeah! Hot on the heels of Death Wave and yeah. straight, straight after elevated genre. <laughs> yeah, you know it's absolutely ridiculous because I, I, I remember talking to you quite in depth up, uh, around the time The Witch came out. Yeah, uh, and that was you know very good. lots and lots of lots of great reviews and it is it's a great piece of work, uh, but lots of critics who are not really into horror as a genre. Elevating it to like, oh well, it's not really a horror film, you know, because it's it's like a serious work of cinema, which is absolutely ridiculous. It is a horror <laughs> film, you know. This idea post horror, it was like, what, what, really? It's just absolutely ridiculous, and it's just pure and utter snobbishness, uh, you know, and like people looking down their nose at horror, and that's been a, that's been a long. Standing theme, isn't it? That people into the genre—it's kind of like people into heavy metal. they, they, they kind of like look down upon and sneer that. don't mm. you think? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I, the joke—I joke—I was like, "It's not math rock if I, it's
1: math rock if I like it. It's heavy metal if I don't." <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's a very a very niche gag, <laughs> but I knew
0: you'd get that one. <laughs> yeah. So you know. Let's so start, and, and, and as you said, we're going to do these in chronological order. So, you said my first film was Peep and Tom. Yes. And this is Michael Powell's uh, 1960 uh, British film, which basically destroyed his career. You know, uh, Michael Powell had a long standing uh, filmmaking career with uh, Emmerich Kressberger. they made some of the most loved. Uh, british films um you know uh, matter of life and death you know the name, name but one and then he'd make this film peep and tom on his own one has to say you know it, it was written by a really interesting guy called leo marx who's uh was a crypto- cryptographer in the second world war and uh, a linguist and he wrote the script and it's basically this is a film loved of filmmakers you know it is it's Anyone had seen it and seen the use of red and the use of dark colours in it. You wouldn't need to be told it's one of Martin Scorsese's favourite films. Mm. But when the film came out, it was absolutely annihilated by the press. They absolutely hated it. You know, uh, some of the reviews are just, uh, and some of the reviews are unbelievable, saying it it should be Derek Hill. In the Tribune, the most famous review of it suggested the film should be d- disposed of and thrown into a sewer. <laughs> but he what? said the stench, the stench would still remain. Because what it was—it was considered so salacious and and, and, and yeah, because it, it's 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 basically it's a great film about filmmaking. It's about voy- voyeurism. Mm. Oh, so it's about the male gaze. Mm. You know, if, you know if people don't know about it. The, the lead character is a cameraman. Who films women? He has like he has like this uh, knife that comes off a camera, and as he films, he films them as they're dying, <clears throat> you know. And it was just, you know, and mainly he's picking up prostitutes and stuff like that. It's a very seedy film, all, all set around Soho in London and stuff like that. Um, you know, but it's just really, really creepy. You know, his career never never recovered, but, you know, after this, the only jobs Michael Powell could get as a filmmaker were um... Remember the Children's Foundation films? Oh, yeah. He was directing them. That's the only work he could get, until he got acclaimed by filmmakers in the American filmmakers in the 70s, like Scorsese, like Coppola, and... They, uh, Scorsese looked upon him as a mentor, you know, and would show him uh, face cuts of his films and stuff like that. And then uh, he met his wife, who was Martin Scorsese's editor, uh, Thelma Shoemaker. Hmm. And uh, they they were married late in life for him until he died. You know, she's still a, a Scorsese's editor and and very much like the the keeper of. The torch of Michael Powell when his films get um, uh, reissued. I, I think recently it's been, I think it has been a four K restoration. So you know, what's uh,
1: the story there then about how it got roundly trashed but managed to come out of that trashing 10, 12 years later as
0: a beacon for filmmakers? It was only because of Scorsese. It was basically that was the only reason. You know, and uh, and also, it was. It's also really related to Freudian psychoanalysis, and cool. that has re- that's really become. It went through, went through a stage of revisionism and Freudian was nonsense and stuff like that. You know, because it's it's a great film about sexual repression. Of course, it is, yeah. You know, you know it's, 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 Scorsese says there's only two. If you want to you want to know about filmmaking. There's only two two films. Will say everything that can be said about filmmaking. One is Peep and Tom*, and the other is Eight and a Half by Federico Fellini. Blimey. Uh It is a very very seedy film. You know, you you, you can you actually feel like you need you need a cold shower uh, or hot shower rather after watching it.
1: You know, no, and, it, I, it feels it. Fe- it fe- I've only just recently been watched that actually, uh, it, just prior to when you, when you gave me your list, and I was. It, it, it feels ahead of its time. Never mind it's kind of, you know, the sexual nature of it, which obviously would always well, yeah. shock an audience in 1960. You know,
0: but but, but the, the idea of the, relating the camera to the phallus, and which was obviously Freudian, but also made me think when I rewatched it, because I recently rewatched um, Alien. Right. And you, Geiger's creation of the Alien in those films... Uh, which is also related to Freudian psychoanalysis. But, the, the, you know, that the head of the alien looks like a phallus. And that, it reminded me of Peep and Tom. And then, you know, when I saw the... And vice versa, when I was watching Peep and Tom, again, it reminded me of the alien films. But I, I, I remember that... I watched it a long time ago, first time, and I probably didn't
1: give it as much attention as I should have done. But mm. this time round, it was impossible for me not to see... That, that, that Peeping Tommy is, is a forerunner for what become the slasher format. The whole, yeah, I mean it wasn't it wasn't trying to be anything,
0: was it? In that sense, but you know, and, and it's it, it, it representation of uh, an outsider who has many many issues mm. and a, uh, is kind of related to one of my other films. Um, which we'll talk about later, mm. you know, because uh, and, and they stand, you know, the the great double bill to watch that and uh, the other film that we'll come to talk about. Mm. You know, and, you, you know, you can also see elements of, of the loner and the disintegration of, and the, the escape from society in Scorsese's Taxi Driver. Mm especially, again, the use of red. You know, you think of the use of red in Mean Streets and, you know, Taxi drivers especially. Yeah. You know, compl- like, this film is, like, it's the... Col- I think what, what will hit people if they've never seen it are the use of colour, and especially red.
1: And I guess, as well, in 1960, that would have that would have been, like, a real thrill as well, wouldn't it, for the filmmaker, mm-hmm. with, with the use of colour and stuff. It still would have been... There still would have been that... that Lots of room for experiment, as much as anything else. Yeah,
0: and um, you know, it, it, and it's one of the, it's one of those films now that you know everyone loves it. it, it, it also, you can you can relate it to Hitchcock as well, because one of the one Hitch one of the films that nearly made my five, <laughs> but it just didn't was Alfred Hitchcock's Frenzy which was one of his last films. Yeah, it was, wasn't it his last one was it? Yeah, and that is a horrible, seedy, nasty piece of work, but that is definitely related to Peep and Tom. That may be that may be uh that's one I've not seen. Oh really? I saw it um I saw it in when Alice Cox was doing movie drone for the uh, film. Uh, okay, okay. You know, and, and, and they have a shared, uh, like, well, one, one of the actresses, uh, Anna Massey, she's in Frenzy as well as being in Peep and Tom, so there's that link as well.
1: Was it, 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 given, given what you were saying about like the, the famous press quotes and stuff, this notion of something needs to be destroyed, and yeah. it, 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 it's an amazing theme, isn't it, that a critic would see themselves as the arbiter of our
0: innocence, well, uh if you look if you look at British critical consensus around that time that was very much how critics saw themselves they were very patritional. you know they, they were like looking after the morals of um, the nation <laughs> the nation
1: I I wonder, no wonder that film got made yeah <laughs> isn't it really you can imagine you can imagine leo Marx is is he's how old would he have been when he made it, Bill Marx, do you think?
0: I, I presume. Oh, I don't know. I, th- I think he was fort- late 40s, 50s, I so think. So he's
1: a, a man that's lived through the war.
0: Yes. He, well, he, 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 he worked at, um, uh, what, what was the code in place where the... Oh, blenchley Park. Bletchley Park.
1: Yeah, he worked there. So you've, you've lived through that, the idea that the Nazis might take over and stuff, and you've yeah. and we've won, and, they, and there you are 15 years later, some... Critics are trying, are trying to develop this idea that, that you need to be protective, and Leo's got these thoughts in his head about the world.
0: You know, but the other thing is, the other, you know, you talk about Hitchcock, it is, it, it is completely related to Hitchcock, especially to Psycho, you know, because mm. mm. we're talking about both films of mild-mannered serial killers who are obsessed with their parents, you know, both of those films have those, and also people forget, people forget when Psycho came out, Psycho I had a really tough time with the critics. It was a box office bonanza, but the critics, especially the English critics, hated it, and you know, compared it to pornography. Amazing. I, and think, that's, I think
1: that's the important. That's I, I, always the interesting thing for me about these films that seem to have stood the test of time, that started off life by getting a kicking off the people that were meant to help give it
0: life. You know, and but but the, the 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 thing, one of the things. Oh, ten uh, minutes are up, David. Oh, ten minutes are up. We're moving on then. Never mind. <laughs>
1: hey. the right
0: Rock's... then. So your next film, and I'll just hang,
1: hang my finger over the start button. So we're jumping from 1960 now to yeah.
0: 1984. Do you want to tell us what that's for? Uh, oh, I I don't know because I don't know the precise date. Is that a Threads. Is it elephants? Threats. Oh, Threads, okay, Threads i have I've, I've give uh, one of the other films away there we'll right, right. Well, Threads is, uh, well first of all I want to talk about, as I said I was going to cheat mm-hmm. and talk about, there's two films that should be watched side by side you know, and the first one is Peter Watkins' The War Game which was made in 1965 which depicts a nuclear war and the build up to a nuclear war, you know. Um, the, the BBC. Yeah, I've, not,
1: I've not seen that either.
0: The okay. BBC refused to show it because it was it was considered to be too horrifying for the medium of broadcasting. <laughs> God. And it was eventually broadcast, even though it was made in 1965. It wasn't broadcast on the BBC. On this is the link until 31st of July 1985. Uh, for the 40th anniversary of Hiroshima and the day before a repeat screening of Threads. Get out of town. It's only a 50 minute film and it just depicts the prelude to and the immediate weeks of the aftermath of a Soviet nuclear attack. And it's done very much like uh, TV news. Right. You know, and it's horrific in it because we have to understand, you know. Uh, I wasn't around in 1965, but, you know, that was, I think that was the great uh, cloud that hovered over everyone, the basically possibility of nuclear annihilation. You know, 1965, you know, the Cuban Missile Crisis had happened, you know, people were terrified, you know, the Cold War was going on. And so you know this to see this and to see it was so revolutionary that it wouldn't be even though it was paid for the BBC it wouldn't be wouldn't be screened till over 20 years after it was made actually says a lot about the power you know and Peter Watkins is like an amazing filmmaker that makes the most bizarre incendiary films hmm. um, you know and, 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 and a lot of people. Uh, may not know who he is or, or, or may not know his work. No, no, but, I don't, that's for certain. I'm, I'm yeah. making a note here as you talk. Well, he, 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 he made a, a Culloden, which is another BBC film about the the, the the massacres in Scotland, you know, and it's just his work's just amazing. You can get them all. Um, mm. I think there's a nice BBC box set. But um, anyway, we'll move on to Thread. But I just wanted to say, I'm going to talk predominantly about Threads, but people should definitely... Check out the war game. No, I felt like you just just did an important public information service
1: there.
0: Oh, right, well, that's good. (laughs) Uh, Threads was written by Barry Hines, who Mm. uh, wrote Kez, and directed by Mick Jackson, who's gone on to, um, didn't he make Pet Cemetery? He's he's had a career as, like, a a Hollywood
1: minor. I
0: think so. Yeah. Uh, well, this was um, this is a docudrama an account of nuclear war and its effects on the city of Sheffield. So it takes place in the north. And... Which is already an interesting choice, isn't it? In of itself. Yes, it is. You know, and... and it's people still talk about this film and still seeing this film, and how terrified they were. Uh, Peter Bradshaw, the Guardian, recently uh, wrote a piece in the Guardian about it, saying it's you know it still terrifies him. And it's uh, uh, you know again, we have to get back to the idea that you know people, when this film was made, were dealing with this every day. You know, I remember being in the eighties, you know, and well, you and it, I have the same vintage. This 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 hit us right at the same age, didn't it? Yeah. You know, and it focuses it focuses on both on a macro level and a micro level. You know, we look at two young Sheffield residents, Ruth Beckett and Jimmy Kemp, who are about to get married because of an unplanned pregnancy, and then against that we see the ratcheting up of tensions between America and Soviet Union over Iran, mm. and you know the Home Office directs. Sound familiar? Sort of <laughs> to an assembly, an emergency operations team which established itself in a bomb shelter in the town hall you know and then it just progresses slowly and what's most horrific is the after effects the after effects of a nuclear bomb you know it's like a year a year after the war sunlight is only just beginning to return but food remains scarce you know it's kind of it, it can be looked upon alongside post-apocalyptic cinema you know like the road for example and you know most dy- dystopian fiction definitely you know and it should it's about to break down a society you know there's, there's like people scavenging for food you know there's uh there's you know societal breakdowns of like women getting raped and stuff like that diseases like typhoid and typhoid and cholera you know the, the government uh, becomes really authoritarian to try and create order you know it's just a fascinating fascinating film all told via the prism of a neo realist approach you know and I think seeing this film it's easily available uh, mm. on today very rarely shown on television though. Very rarely shown on television. I, I remember when it was um, when it was uh, shown. The effect it actually had. You well, know, I, I uh, asked my mother whether there'd be a nuclear war.
1: Did um, you? Yeah, I remember. I remember. I remember specifically saying, like being like the concerned. What would it be? 11, 10, and it was uh, no, no. Just coming up to George. Just got to twelve. Just turned twelve, and it was like. Um, yeah, I asked her whether we'd have whether there was going to be a war, and in brilliant adult fa- in brilliant parent fashion, no, it will be all right. Eat your beans. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, 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 I was talking to Josh Sacco, Cigarette Burns, who I think yeah. he recently screened at Eastern Film Festival as part of his the bit he was curating there. I think mm. um, I've not checked it out, but I, would, I think that's why I was talking to him about it. And he, he was, obviously he's American and obviously wasn't here when it was screened originally. And he was, <laughs> for him, and it's, this is going to sound like a really trite thing to say, but the, the moment where, the, where, the, where somebody pees themselves with the fear, you know, like it's actually yeah. happening. He said he, he couldn't believe it when be, well, that's how many people, that's how people, that the, that's like a, a moment in the film that, says, that speaks volumes, doesn't it? But also, yeah. it became it became it's a lasting memory for kind of like a generation of TV watchers.
0: Yeah, you know, and, and and you have to think, you know, the power of the medium. You know, what would be the comparison today? You know, and I kind of don't think there would be. You know, obviously, we, we we live in a golden age of television now, but this it's completely different. You know, to have something that affect, affected people on that level, and so actually, you know, w- when the war game was first come out, the reason the BBC banned it, the Al- Alist- Alistair Milne, who was director-general of the BBC, said they couldn't screen it, because people, there would be mass suicides if people watched it.
1: Well, yeah, I was, just, I was thinking about it, because if you'd even, like, 65 for certain, but even by 1984, there wasn't what you would call mass communications for all, you were broadcast yeah. at, weren't you? And you yes. had a newspaper, and you had
0: your peer group. Yeah, but yeah, I, I, I think I've completely forgot about that. It, it's, you know, that's one of the things we're talking about at a time when, you know, there was, like, what, four channels? Yeah, so you you, you, but, you couldn't and, have and, checked and anything was, out, could you? Basically, it's ev- pure water-cooler television. Mm. That people watch this because this was basically the only thing on, you know. And, and that's why the audiences would have been massive in comp- comparison to now, when we have all... Types of choice, which is what's interesting, though, is that this
1: went out at the the same year, and it's 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 a proper sci-fi. Uh, it went out the same year as Day of the Triffids on TV, I think. If if it didn't, it was it was a year after. And and what's fascinating is that obviously Day of the Triffids has a, has some of the similar, like you say, with the dystop the, the parallels with with dystopian fiction. Mm-hmm. Is that Day of the Triffids has that breakdown of society once? Once the leaders are overthrown and there's this other thing that's disrupting how society works, once society is left to fend
0: itself, it just crumbles. Yeah.
1: And obviously, a nuclear bomb is going to speed that up.
0: Yeah. And, and so it's been kept alive on DVD and it's, it's kind of one of the things people talk on, So, you know, but it, it's, it hasn't really gone down as a great work of cinema. it's But people talk about what it's talking, what it's showing, as opposed... And I, I think it's really due, excuse me, uh, a reappraisal, and, you know...
1: Well, it's, it's, for, its format is sort of ahead of its time, in a sense. But then the way you just described Wargame, that was already sort of do, yeah. doing that, kind of what we now know, like, like a docu-drama, a mock-you drama sort of, mock you uh, sort of thing, where... Mm-hmm. Ten minutes is up, mate. We've uh, we've exhausted okay. that one, I'm afraid. Not exhausted the film, but our time. Um, well, that was brilliant. Now, if, if, if for no other reason than to remind people that Threads does indeed exist and it's important, but also to bring up Peter Watkins, I think that's a, a road you've just led me down that I didn't know was going to go down today.
0: That's
1: great. Um, so, jump into 1989. We've got nice, Elephant, yeah. which. I remember you talks about this because it's produced by someone who's now very, very
0: famous, isn't he, uh, Danny Boyle? Yes. Yes. Um, Danny Boyle. I one of my uh, I constantly say all the time the best thing Danny Boyle's ever been associated with is Elephant because at the time in 1989 when this was made, Danny Boyle was head of drama at BBC Belfast. Right. Uh, he was a huge supporter of. For my mind, one of the greatest British filmmakers, Alan Clark. Mm. And this, you know, you, I've talked to you in the past about formalism a lot. This is a formalist masterpiece. There's no dialogue in it at all. It was shot in 16mm steady cams. Wow. Alan Clark, possibly the two greatest filmmakers who use a steady cam are Alan Clark and Stanley Kubrick. Uh, the title of the film comes from a, Bernard McClafferty, uh, no, a Bernard, the, the, sorry, the Belfast poet, Bernard McLafferty description of the Northern Ireland, the Troubles, was an elephant in the living room. Right, okay. Which, you know, is a reference to the collective denial yeah. uh, of what was going on. Uh, it was screened on BBC Two 1989. in 1989. In all the UK? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Uh, in all the UK. All, all, all the UK. And what it does it just it's filled with sectarian murders and it's just people walking like it becomes it becomes hypnotic because it scenes like just a, a, someone walking through the park and then someone will pass them and just shoot them and then as it goes on and there's more and more you become really anxious because anytime you see somebody is this gun, is this person going to get shot and there's lots of scenes just there was one where the guy just walks down these corridors in a disused factory for ages, you know in total there's 18 murders, which were all partly based on actual events, drawn from police reports mm-hmm. at the time you know, uh, it shares its name obviously with Gus Van Sands 2003 film Elephant uh, which was him nodding, uh, Gus Van Sands nodding to both Alan Clark and Bellatar to the way uh, he changed making films, you know. For a long time, most of Alan Clark's films were near impossible to see, you know, other than other than probably the fame, Made in Britain, and Scum. Um, but last year, there's, uh, the BFI released a bumper, massive box set of everything he'd ever done, oh, wow. and so you actually see everything now. An elephant is in that. It's well worth seeing. It's like <sighs> It's completely, it's just, it's mind-blowing. You've got to understand how revolutionary it is. As You know, Alan Clark's really interesting because he made the majority of his work on television. Mm. But he was, in my mind, he was a filmmaker without a shadow of a doubt. The only film he actually made that was released at the cinema, I think, was, well, of course, there was two versions of Scum, but was Rita Sue and Bob 2. Yeah which has recently been re-released because it's uh, uh, an anniversary. You know, and this was, I, I, I lived in Northern Ireland, and this was a real keystone for like uh, Northern, Northern Ireland filmmakers and stuff, and it was like, it's only 39 minutes long, but it was one of those things, um, can you imagine the revolutionary act of something like this getting shown on primetime television? It got screened on BBC Two. Right. Uh, primetime. And you just discover something like that. So what you're, you're saying t- is, it was,
1: it was, it was speaking about something that was
0: real to people in Northern Ireland like never before. Yes. Right. Well, you, but, but because it's there's no, it doesn't take any sides. You, you, you're not told, well, this this is a republican murder and this is a unionist murder. These are just murders. I was going to say, from what I've I've never watched it all, but what the bits I've
1: seen is. It, the horror of it is the tremendous sort of matter of fact of the killing. I mean, oh, obviously, yeah. the, 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 the trick in that obviously is the, what you're talking about with the cinematic
0: techniques, but yeah. you're you're not you're not allowed to relish it, are you? You know, no, you know, you know, and it does become it makes you amazingly paranoid. And you know, speaking to friends who lived uh, in Belfast and Derry during the Troubles, you know, th- this is people's reality, It was it, they kind of come normalised, you know, seeing people shot or, you know, being on a war foot and bombs going off all over the place, you know what I mean, and it just becomes, you know, it, it instils a black, black humour, you know, it was like the people have over there, you know, the, the, the laugh and joke is, you know, people just literally didn't know, you uh, know, what was going to happen what one day one day to the next this is going to sound like a crass comparison but do you think you know the
1: way that um when the once, once it follows establishes its sort of thing about what you what are you actually looking for which is different from normal perspective do you think that, do you think there's some distant influence there between elephant and what it follows tried to do as well i know i know it's not the steady cam thing and stuff but just the notion—it's—it's of... it's, it's really, really interesting. You mentioned it, uh, it follows. Yes,
0: uh, yeah. Because because it generates the same kind of paranoia, doesn't it, about what you're well, watching? Uh, Elephant is an amazingly influential film. You right. know, um, you know, so many people, uh, so many filmmakers reference it. You know, and like you bringing up, um, uh, it follows is. Definite, was a definite elephant. Was a definite influence on that film, without a shadow of a doubt. You know, it's just, it's re- I, I just, again, this is a. Other than the box set, this is people. People watch. People were watching really badly, VHS recorded, put up on YouTube hmm. uh, versions of this film because it, it, you know it, it kind of came like. The Clockwork Orange for so long, it was like, you know, it was near, near impossible to see. You know, there's, there's, there's like three films we've talked about already, you know, that are British and for a long time were next to impossible to see and were, were, were never re-shown on television. But also, they're, 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 they're British
1: and, and, and they're not they're not compromising their vision, are they? They're, no. Which... Which you know, when you you know, if if you, if you ever wanted to see what happens when when politics starts to to sort of say no, you can't, yeah, and you just start pulling funding. I think I think the the, the I think the, the the joke was amongst the Tories was was, was about some of this stuff was um, what do you call it? Um, we're funding them to take the mickey out to, to point the finger at us. We could just stop mm-hmm. the funding, could not we? And yeah. and you know and that's kind of and then you get and really it's not about pointing things at the Tories at all that's just them having a guilty conscience these things are just about what life's like aren't they and then if yeah. life if life's not portrayed then you're
0: lying aren't you mm. you know but uh, you know I also find interesting the the bana- the banality of the horror and the the not horror within the normal and the everyday. You know, because, again, it gets back to the idea of, like, you know, what is horror? And I I think it's a ridiculous um, uh, question, really. You know, uh, is Elephant a horror film? Well, yeah, it's horrific. You know, people are getting killed left, right, and center. Of course it's a horror film. Mm. You know, and I I think the genre is all the better for having an open-door policy. You know what I mean? And and, and all-encompassing church you know, rather than saying, oh, you're not, you are, you're not, you are. It's, it's ridiculous. It, it, just, it just is. And so, yeah, please go out and see this film, because it will stay with you, and you'll be thinking about it a long time since you've seen it. And as I said, it's only 39 minutes long, but, you know, it's... At, at, the, it's at, the, not, st- at the
1: start of it, David, you mentioned about Alan Clark's use of Steadicam. Do you want yes. to talk about why it's an effective use. What makes what makes him a great champion of it as opposed well, Tim, to just using it? Tim,
0: Tim Roth, who starred in uh, Alan Clark's Made in Britain, yeah. said Alan's basic film technique is, here's a character and we follow them. Okay. and basically that's what he does and that's why the steady was invented for someone like Alan Clark because he just takes a character and he just follows them from behind side on and it just gives him that freedom to just you know and you know there's there's a famous does uh, Link later reference him at all then uh, I don't think so I don't think so it, it, it's it's you know the the idea editing can be looked upon as being totalitarian <laughs> <laughs> In 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 the sense of, someone is trying to expressionistically show you what what they want you to think or get from something. What the Steadicam takes away and what formalism takes away from that. There's nowhere else to look. There's no more cuts. This is the only thing. Mm. And th- there's a there's a sense of cinematic purity with that. You know. Because all you're seeing, everyone is seeing the one same shot. You know, n- 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 you know where if you're caught and you do a close up, and you do this. You know that is. I know you laughed when I said totalitarian, but that's that. No, no, kind I, know, of, I know what
1: you mean. I know what you're saying. It just makes me. I, I never described that, but it's very
0: fitting. It's, it's kind of related to a, a, an old argument um, uh, French filmmakers had uh, when the Costan Graves film Capo. Um Jacques Ravet. Oh the
1: alarm's gone off mate.
0: Oh there we go. Never mind. Well, that was good then. That For was another good. Time. I like that.
1: that's where I like where we got then. Right then. We're gonna be jumping another few years now to two, in fact in fact to twenty years to two thousand nine yeah. to
0: one of my favourites. Yeah. Tony. Yes. Now Tony is the film that I said could would be a great double bill with Peep and Tom. Yeah. And I think the director Jared Johnson is a really interesting filmmaker, and also he—not many people know about him, you know. But he made like two films. I I know his last film. His last film screened at Edinburgh, and like people hated it. Really, really hated it. Uh, But he—he's kind of like works outside the the British film industry system, really, doesn't he? You know, I thought it was interesting. Sort the film, I mean, yeah. It's flawed, but it's it's yeah. interesting. I'm just trying to find the title now. Go on. You know, and and so Tony is again. I'd say it's a companion compa- It's like the British. To be really trite, it's like the British Henry Porter of a serial killer. And it couldn't be more British in its comparisons. Oh, absolutely. You know, you know, the, the lead character uh, lives alone in a flat in Dalston in a tower block. You know, he, he goes about his life, quite a sad life, he obsessively collects 80s action movies, and he just aimlessly wanders the streets. You know, tries to, pick, try to connect, doesn't he? It's about, it's about, it's about a, a film of disconnection. It's one of the quintessential great London films, I think. The idea of, like, one of the biggest, most, biggest and best capital cities in the world. And how people can get lost
1: no I, I I was talking to a friend one of, I don't know if you saw that film junk hearts yes which that was while well, well, again flawed film that achieved the brilliance of despite being in one of those vibrant cities if you're on your own you're on your own and nobody's going to look at nobody's going to help you yeah. and I think so you're right I think Tony Tony des, delves right into that by I think by by isolating us with him, I mean, I think that that's one of the differences between, um, uh, Tony and Put Henry, because Henry, you get the idea the world is going on. Yeah. Whereas in Tony, you don't think the, the world only happens, is, for Tony, only happens where he walks, you know?
0: Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, I, I, you know, and it's like, um, the representation of London, getting back to people's home, is, you know, aside on the most people who who don't live in London... Wouldn't really see and to see it on screen was kind of interesting. It kind of relates, even though it was, um, it's made in like 2009 and it's contemporary, it very much seems to me a 1980s film. And you know, we, we think of the horror stories that, uh, you know, um, gay men were getting put through when Dennis Nielsen was, you know, murdering, picking mm. up guys in gay bars and hacking them up. Um, I mean, Kill, killing for company is a massive influence on this movie. Which the, the
1: book, Brian Masters' book on uh, Oh yeah, on on Dennis Nielsen. I mean, the character yeah. um, that Peter Fernand the, the character Tony that Peter Fernand, Fernando is playing is yeah. um, is 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 a, is a kind of if Dennis Nielsen was in a tower block, I fell.
0: Yeah, you know, to really, really, you know, the people jokingly. Said to me, you know, if see a film with uh, you, you know, no story or stuff like that, we we, we know you're going to love it. But you know, I love the ending. Yeah. Nothing, nothing is tied up. You know, there's no ending. There's there's no there's no emotional catharsis cathartic act that was like, oh, this is a bad man who's killing people, and and look, we've got him, and now he's going to go to jail. There's none of that. You know, we also need to talk about the amazing performance by uh, Peter F- 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 Fernand. Fernando, you're as bad as me. <laughs> yes, that's Uh And he's fantastic. He's really, really good. Walking around with his blue carrier bag. Yes, yes. You know, and it's just, again, we're talking about horror within the normal. You know, this is a, a sad guy, yes, but you, you, you could pass the likes of him maybe 20 times a day walking around London or you know, wherever you're from, in a major metropolitan city. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. That was, again, I think you go back to that point, it's the, it's
1: the horror born out of what appears to be absolute normality. Yes. On the surface, because, because ultimately, I think, I think what, what Jared Johnson taps into very cleverly, which I guess if you take the Dennis Nielsen story, is that we're all, we're all immensely complex people, aren't we? We're not the surface that you see and obviously yeah. to be a serial killer is, is the kind of ultimate mask to wear, but, but nevertheless, it's only a mask, isn't it? It's, yeah. only, it's only like finding out someone's a bloody you know, go-go dancer at the weekend, but they're the secretary to the chief exec on Monday to Friday. You know, people, don't, people aren't who you see as you see them. And, and, and film, obviously, being a visual media, is the perfect, um, perfect way to show that, isn't it? Because you go, look, here's yeah. one way of looking at someone. Here's the other, and I guess you've got the echoes, haven't you, with Peeping Tom of the kind of exchanges with the news agent, and then going upstairs to take the photographs, and you're like, oh right, okay, so this isn't just this isn't just a normal walk around the town.
0: Mm. Yeah, it, it, it's, it again. This is a film when it came out, it it played, um, at Edinburgh Film Festival, and uh, bizarrely, it was released on my birthday, um, but it didn't really get that wide of a release. And I think it's one of these films that people have just found on DVD. Um, I think it
1: didn't... I mean, the, sh- the story I knew and how I came to it was because the, sh- the short film that gave birth to the feature yeah. was being talked about a lot, obviously, because it's, it's an interesting look. It was that guy just being shouted at in the pub and you, you ultimately were made to feel sorry for him. But obviously, yeah. that character that you're meant to feel sorry for in the feature film we reveal so much more. And you're right, I mean, just as a spoiler, um, the ending of it is is a brilliant sleight of hand, isn't it? In terms oh, of,
0: absolutely, yeah.
1: In terms you know, of, look at this, but what I'm going to show you.
0: I remember first watching and what I do a lot of times, if I'm really into a film and I'm really enjoying it, and I'm in my head going, don't mess it up. Don't. <laughs> Don't don't end it like this. Don't end it like this. You know, in, in a traditional Anglo-Saxon way. Don't. And you know, this film didn't. You know, and it was like, and, and it, then it then it became such a relief. I was like, oh, thank God, <laughs> thank God they didn't end it that way. They ended it the way they ended it.
1: Well, you know? it, it's it's it, it, well, it's
0: again. There's and
1: there's 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 a parallel with with Henry, isn't there?
0: Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Very similar ending. Very similar ending in in Henry. Because yeah. because if we
1: can't spot it and we're not looking for it, then yeah. what? Why would Tony end with society going right? We caught another bad and, and And look, that doesn't sound. That sounds like I might be advocating what he's doing. That, that's not. What, but but in terms of the world we live in, this
0: this is sadly going on. Yes, and it's the arbitrary nature that's terrifying and horrific. True. True. Yeah. The idea of like meeting someone in a bar and then going back to their house and it was like, you know, and then you're dead. You know, and, and it's basically, it's it, it's just like chance. And for like me, doing that one thing is like your life is over.
1: But it's interesting, isn't it, that what, what Gerard plays with is perception. So everyone knows on the estate he's a weirdo. Yes. So when the young girl goes missing, all fingers are pointing at him. But what we know about him is that's the last person on earth he'd even go near. So Yeah. It almost feels like you're watching a potential miscarriage of justice in the sense of mm. what he's being accused of and what he's really done. Yeah. Which would which is a real surreal position to put yourself in
0: as the audience, isn't it? It really is. It really is. You know, it's it's a real uh, Mindfuck of a film, you know what I mean? It, it, it's it's just really, especially if you're not expecting it, uh, and you know, it really it's like you, you're thinking, where is this going? You know, and again, you know, kind of related to, um, not in any major way, but it sounds horrible to say there's compassion for a serial killer, but there kind of is kind kind of the way Todd Salons in Happiness. Uh, manages to give compassion to a paedophile. Mm.
1: Uh,
0: this kind of does that, and it sounds really strange, doesn't it, to say, "Oh, you have compassion for someone that's killing and chopping up men."
1: Well, no, well, no well, we we know he's a killer, but when he's getting bullied by the job centre and threatened yeah. with losing his benefits, we're 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 hoping he gets his benefits. Yeah, we're not we're not thinking, yeah. Uncover his killing because the scenario isn't killer faced with benefit cheated. It's just a man trying to get on with his life, as, mm. as as awful as that is. And and and, ag- and again, you know, it's, it's it's clearly a theme is that that, that that um the horror out of the mundanity is what gets you the most. Because Absolutely. again, like your like your if, if Elephant was about people not knowing what every day could happen in 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 Tony, it's. We haven't got we haven't got a clue what's really going on around us, and that ten minutes flew, didn't it? Yeah, it did. Blimey. Right then. Right then. Last time I looked, it was about four minutes. Um, right then. Well, that was a, that's that's uh, a belter, and also just to add to that one, it doesn't half show a side of Dolston that you never see, as far Absolutely. as uh, Italian, <laughs> Italian 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 Vogue
0: coverage of Dolston. <laughs> S- certainly no hipsters, no uh, people riding around on on playing ukuleles and <laughs> riding uh f- penny farthings.
1: Right then, this last one. I'm so glad you picked it because I wondered that w- I wondered when it had come up because mm-hmm. it, it, it 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 had a very lasting effect on me. This one, uh, 2013's Under the Skin.
0: Yes, um, it's directed by Jonathan Glazer. Based on Michelle Faber's novel, the same name, uh, stars Scotty Hansen. Um, and this, again, this can be really, both these films are linked. This can definitely be linked to Tony. You yeah. know, uh, this has Scotty Hansen as an alien uh, driving around uh, Glasgow, picking up men and sacrificing them. Uh, They filmed. uh, A lot of the people didn't know they were were in a film. They they used lots of little GoPro cameras in the car and on the street and stuff like that. And you know, it's really, really unnerving. You know, it's kind of what can be considered a marmite film because lots of lots of uh, mainstream audiences really didn't like it. I've seen it quite a few times at the cinema, but every time I've seen it at the cinema with uh, a regular audience. You've obviously got. I, I never understand why people do this, but it's like people on on a date have <laughs> decided what to go and see, basically by looking at the poster. And like, oh, Scarlett Johansson, we'll go and see that. And then they're like, what is <laughs> this? And they're getting up, walking out, and then being really <laughs> ostentatiously exiting. Yeah. You know, what a load of rubbish.
1: Yeah. I saw it at the Prince Charles. So I was in I was a, I was in a safe uh, safe environment yeah. the first time
0: I saw it. Yeah. Um, again, it has that Freudian sense of the uncanny and the other, and it's so intriguing, especially for the first forty-five minutes. Say, you have no idea where it's going. It's fucking with the male gaze, though, isn't it? Given, given a Scarlett oh, yeah. Johansson as the I don't know what you call it. Is she antagonist, protagonist. I don't know. <laughs> But then, she's the centre of the film. But you know, but they, when we we're talking about chance, it's a, the same thing again, of like chance and compassion. You know, because she feels she feels sorry for the guy who's deformed, doesn't she? And she kind of yeah. like she kind of, uh, and that's looked upon as um, weakness. You know, and, and, and the scene a lot of people talk about is the scene on the beach with uh, with the guy, uh, you know, it's just, it's such a strange show. We also should mention the amazing score by uh, Micka Levy, which is just absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Um, it premiered at the Venice Film Festival, where you know, again, it was a very divisive film. It got boos, it got cheers. Never, you know, never understand people boo films at film festivals. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's, it's so silly to change filmmaking into football. Um,
1: what what with, was what was? It, it, uh, I can understand that the you know, the the, the the Woodford Odeon that it might get a few cut. What the hell is that? But. Why, why did it upset? Why was it a Marmite film amongst in, in an audience that you might find at Venice then? What, what, was, what was people reacting to? Yeah,
0: think? I, I have no idea. You know, it's very, you know, people with Anglo-Saxon ideas of narrative. And, you know, this is, again, a piece of formalist cinema. You know, the plot, if, 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 the plot is very, very slight. Well, Very, you're, just basically, you're just basically thrown in, aren't you? And then, and then you, yeah, you have to you have uh, to ca- you, you're forever but, playing catch. There's, there's no there's no hegemonic free act structure in this film, you know. No. There's no again. There's it's open ended. There's no like you know. And the last sequence is like is cinema in the guise of it's transcend pure transcendental cinema that relates to the best, Lawrence Malick, you know, the best of. um uh, Kenneth Anger, you know, it becomes like a quasi-shamanic sacrifice. Um, you know, it's just... I think I've seen this film, I don't know, close to ten times, and yeah. every time I see it, I get something more from it. And again, it's very meditative... Meditative? Yeah. Um like a lot of formalist cinema, you know, like Elephant, the the rhythms of travel and driving are integral to this film. You know, the way she drives around trying to pick up men on, and as you said, the play with the male gaze, you know, obviously Scarlett Johansson is a very beautiful woman, mm-hmm. you know, and so, and so when she's, you know, she's, and then once we realize she's an, she's an alien, and it's the idea of like, she's not looking at them sexually at all. Mm. It's completely separate. And and we never, like, find out why she's killing them, why she has to... Now, if anyone's read the book, you know, it does go into... The book's very different. Well, But to me, that's what I liked about the
1: film, is that the film is truly an adaptation of the book because it isn't trying to be the book. The book really goes into some of the more industrial... Nature of what's going on, like obviously well, other, know,
0: other aliens in the line. And, and it's really interesting because Jonathan Glazer had been developing this. I think he developed for like ten years, you right. know. Because, uh, and it went through various writers and stuff like that. Originally, it was going to be a high budget uh, Hollywood film with uh, a husband, husband and wife farmers who were aliens, and Brad Pitt was cast as one those the husbands. Jesus tonight, that was a that was a close call, wasn't it?
1: I know, yeah. But the but the book is about you know the industrial nature of somebody coming to farm us, you know, and and yeah, for whatever well, whatever just, reason. I mean, that, it's,
0: have you read the novel? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Because yeah. yeah, that's that's the novel and stuff
1: like that. Whereas the book the book just throws us in under on one like one alien, you know, one alien agent going about her stuff, and
0: yeah.
1: and it's only her because she's in the body of. Uh, of, of Scarlett Johansson I have no idea
0: whether the aliens really. the but this, this is the interesting thing I like I, I like people who take chance I like actors that take chances you know hmm. and the idea that if people people predominantly know Scarlett Johansson from being in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and then go to see this their head will be fried and oh. I think that's great thing, you know, because, you know, imagine, imagine it as a teenager seeing this film, you know what I mean, and, and up until that point, the only films you've seen are like, you know, big American studio monoliths, and you see this film, and it was like, it could switch a little button in your head, and it was like, well, you know what, there's other ways to tell a story, there's other ways to make a film, you know, and so this could be a great jumping off point film, and by seeing this film, you you'll start to investigate other films.
1: It, it is, it, it, interestingly, Under the Skin is like um, is like a contradiction about the notion of making modern films, in the sense that it isn't important that Scarlett Johansson is in that lead role, but obviously it would have been important in terms of getting that film to a point where we mean you could see it. Yeah. And the fact that the way she performs isn't being... Of the um, Marvel Universe, she's just doing whatever the script and/or Jonathan Glazer's discussed with her needs to happen, and, and 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 that kind of downplayed aspect of it is if you've not seen anything like that before, is what makes it well, to, makes it captivating to me. I think I think the beach scene, just holding a camera on a um, What was it like a a, a, a baby in a cot, little cot thing. And we know we don't have to we don't have to go back and find out later, but that baby's fucked, and yeah. that is one of the most it's what simple way of creating a hole your eyes can't unsee it, and you're trying to move you've got to move on with what Scarlett Johansson's up to, but yeah. you're left with that kind of that blemish, aren't you on on, yeah. on your memory of the film is that. That, that, that horror happened, and it wasn't, like you say, it wasn't necessarily motivated by anything to do with who deserved it, what 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 the hero needed or wanted. It just was what she was up to.
0: And it's an amazingly beautiful film, and it finds beauty in the most mundane normality. We've talked a lot about horror in the normal, where this... Find beauty in those simple, simple, normal moments.
1: Do you think that's because it's supposed to be alienized looking, and it, it, yeah, being, it, it almost being Virginal looking at it's it?
0: It's Very, very strange. Because again, it's you, There's a form of poetry uh, formulated by uh, Craig Rain called Martian poetry. Oh, really? And yeah, yeah. Martian poetry is. Basically, he said, you write a poem like you're a Martian and everything you're seeing, you don't understand, you are seeing it for the first time. Okay. And so I, this, def- this definitely relates to this because you're seeing everything through Scarlett Johansson and her view, which is something that would be considered normal for us, is amazingly uh, surreal and strange to her. It's kind of like the idea when you get, uh, like what, when John Sleshy made Midnight Cowboy, the reason that's such an amazing portrayal of New York is because he's English. And so when he went to New York, he was seeing things the way New Yorkers or Americans wouldn't see. It was, yeah, yeah, like, and, and like, uh, what's he called,
1: Winding Raffin, when he did Drive. It was just a postcard to a city he didn't, wasn't familiar with. <laughs> yeah. Well, not ten minutes. are up there, mate.
0: I know. I heard the I heard the buzz. I
1: let you finished to do point. That was a night. It was a good place to continue. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, thank you very much for taking us through there. I almost feel like it'd be redundant to ask, but I will do because mm-hmm. I think you, you've you've tied them all together as you've gone along. But if I if I was to sort of observe what we just talked about, then one of the main things coming through this is is a the gaze. Yes. B what's beneath mundanity, sh- uh, stroke normality. Yeah. And if you try and look, scratch beneath that surface, you might
0: find horror. The chances are quite strong. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it was, uh, as I said with my list, I was trying to, you know, come at it in a different way and kind of try and introduce people to films they may not have heard of or they've heard of and not seen, you know, and, and so if one person goes out and watches Elephant's, Based on this, I'll be that'll be enough for me. It's, it's well, no, well, the,
1: look, the whole the whole point of this is to do the great British horror films, not to do the great British horror films. Yeah, and, you know, with well, the point is the conversation a bit like what you're saying. It has to be if it's not an open door policy, then I might as well just stop doing the podcast. Because um, the more the more I can the, the more I can hear about what is because you you're always going to have blind spots. I think anybody trying to trying to follow any aspect of culture is always going to have blind spots and. um and also, as well, not to be too um, nationalistic about it, I think it's worth trumpeting the fact that, as as you quite quite did did very well join the podcast, is that there is there are cinematic talents in Britain that might go a little underappreciated sometimes yeah. in, in, the, uh, in the in the in the in the plaudits wars, um, and there are British filmmakers who've been mightily influential. That get forgotten under the under the the volume of what is now Hollywood, and you, you look at stuff and it might well be interesting, but it's only interesting because of its origins, mm. as, as as you as you, you, know, you point out. likes like *Peeping*, I mean anybody what anybody that's sort of been th- just taking sort of the the real, the real sort of genre uh, cash cow, the slasher film. If you've never yeah. watched *Peeping Tom*, and then you go back to it. You'll be able to almost kind of you could you could dissect that film frame for frame, and then put them frames in about twenty of the the leading slasher films. Yeah, because it come they've all come from there. They might not even all be consciously knowing they've done it. I mean, it's I, I mean of learning that the film got its plaudits and its and its you know its place in history as a result of Martin Scorsese's love for it. I'd love mm. to know. I'd love to know where his affection started for it. You know, did he did he see it in 1960, and then couldn't believe nobody else liked it, or did he find a print of it? You know, I, it,
0: no, I, I think he saw it in 1960, and then once he had a little bit of, power, he paid for a restoration of it because it it needed to be restored because there, there wasn't many prints of it, and they were they were quite messed up. You hmm. know, but um, it's re- you talk about the slasher film. You know, you can quite you can look back and say the first slasher film. Was they're both released at the same year, so Peep and Tom and Psycho were definitely the first slash of movies. Mm.
1: But I mean, I I, I didn't see Peep and Tom until after it's long time after I'd seen Psycho, so I'd always just just gone with that. But then when you, the, the, the Psycho was the kind of godfather of it all, but actually. It's just Hitchcock's more famous in, in, in latter day.
0: You know, one of the interesting things about that I didn't get a chance to say when we were doing the, as uh, funny story about uh, *Peeping Tom* came out first, mm. and Hitchcock saw the reaction of the press, especially the British press, to it, mm. uh, and he was terrified the same thing was going to happen to him. And so he, was, in those days, this didn't happen. He refused to show it to the press. Well, wow. that just usually means Will Ferrell's in it these days. Doesn't yes, it, does? doesn't, it means it's a, it's a dog of a film. Yeah, because he was really terrified. He thought, well, they've destroyed Michael Powell's career, you know, when this film's going to do exactly the same to me.
1: It's, I mean, I,
0: you know, the, the sort of subtext to this, though, is is,
1: is, is is a good thing for cinema, isn't it? That cinema can, can undermine people's ability to see the world to the point that they don't want other people to feel the same way as them. Yeah. That's amazing, isn't it? That someone feels that upset at what they've seen that they don't want other people to feel like they do. Because they assume it's almost like it's almost like admitting inadvertently Mm. that you are subverted yourself, you know, that that you're trying to suppress something and this whatever the filmmaker who's who's obviously a lot less repressed than you are has decided to have a look at and see what we feel like. And it's, almost, and it's a weird choice of job, isn't it, to be a critic who's going to yeah. who's going to not be open to the idea of what the visual medium might show you. Because mm-hmm. something Death. being good and bad, obviously, is, is a subjective thing and a taste thing, but the idea of railing against something, like as if it's a moral cause...
0: You know, I think, up until recently, we, we, there was a phone critic called Christopher Tukey at the Daily Mail, and he was the last of those critics you know he he looked upon himself like the male does as an arbiter of taste and uh, the morality of the great british public you know and he railed against you remember he famously railed against crash and said the film should be destroyed <laughs> but you know we don't have those critics anymore thank god but
1: it it it's always fa- it's always been fascinating to me that that you know, how long ago was Crash? Now was that early '90s? Yeah, yeah. You, you, all it did was in a world where we didn't have like Twitter and, and the like, it, it, the noises you were getting in the media, and obviously that 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 I remember Crash was a, well, you know was a news at ten story, wasn't it? It wasn't just a was just a critic saying don't watch this. It was mm. we were getting told at a regular basis don't watch it, or or questions are being asked, you know, um, and it just made you go out. It made you it made you go out and see it. If you, if you were remotely, yeah, no, that's, cu- that's,
0: that's, remotely curious. Well, people don't realise it was like you just give it. Free, it's like free advertising. You know what I mean? And
1: and, and and the inverse of that is that there are there are films that were on the DPP list that are a pile of trash, which mm. have got such a high held in such high regard because you weren't allowed to watch them. kind of the perception of them grew, um, which I guess yeah. with these films that you weren't allowed to see I mean, War Game, obviously. Something that's held back for twenty years before it gets its showing.
0: But you, you know, like that's the statement I said that, like the BBC said, you know, the idea that people afraid that there would be mass suicides, you know, that, that a film could convince people that the world was going to end and they basically should kill themselves. You know, this, this,
1: it's. I mean, it's, it reminds me, you know, this that the, the. I don't, I don't know if it's a. Apocryphal or not, because it changes with time of But that the James Furman quote about Texas Chainsaw Massacre—it's um, all right for us to watch it, but if a car worker in Birmingham or a yes. factory worker in
0: Manchester was to see it, they wouldn't be able—they wouldn't know what to do. Well, you know, because because Furman was like one of those critics, like Peter Latouki and stuff. He, he, he looked upon that he was saving the nation, you know. And they did, have, they did have they did have this very idea, like you know, if it was a foreign language film, you could get away with anything because. People that watch subtitled films are the middle classes, you know. <laughs> but if it's English, in English, you know, like, oh no, because uh, your next door neighbour could be watching it, and you know they have no, no, no control of themselves. They go and see it and go out and kill people because of it. It's Absolutely ridiculous. Well, it's interesting because you, you were talk, you mentioned um, Rita Sue and Bob too,
1: yeah. Um, and I was talking about that today. And the original, because the original, it was originally a stage play, wasn't it? Before it was a screenplay. Yeah. And the, the, the woman who wrote it, she was castigated in the uh, tabloid media for writing, wasn't she? Cause that's the conversation we're looking today. So you can't... It's, it's weird, isn't it? It's like somebody says, look what I've seen, and then the people go, no, you didn't. Stop showing people that thing you've seen. Mm. <laughs> well, look, so before you go, do you want is there anything you, you've got to... Um, you want to tell the world about any any film you're
0: involved with? Or? Uh, let me see. Well, the... Film uh, i made something a long time ago and it's been getting edited and there's been a bit of a hiatus but uh, that should be finished in Dawnfall, uh, and done for October.
1: What's that, a short or a feature?
0: No, a feature film called okay. Damascus and that will be submitted because it's a very experimental piece but hopefully uh, it will find a home uh, in the forum section of the Bill in LA in okay. February, hopefully. Brilliant. And awesome. then I'm writing my I told you this last time I was on I'm writing my French thing and then I've been commissioned by someone to write a script for another director, something I've never done before. Oh well, that's exciting. Uh yeah, yeah, but it's it's kind of tricky and difficult, um, because it's based on um I'm not sure whether I should say or not
1: Um, Well if you don't think you should then don't
0: Yeah I I know And and so yes I'm researching that at the moment And that's it really It it, it was um, Hopefully Damascus gets in either Rotterdam Or Berlin and then that will Enable me to you know play that At festivals which is because it's a festival film It needs festival support and then obviously After that I can do my French Thing and then also do cold water which has become stagnated a little bit the bfi are like well you have to go and do something off your own bat um you know and like and then if it gets in a festival then we can give you the money and so that's basically where i'm at at the moment
1: well look well you'll you know you're welcome to come back on here to talk about damascus then when the time's right I'd because that'll be if it's experimental then it will definitely be an education for me Mm -hmm. And I'm all for that. So thank you very much for uh, for giving us your time on the five great British horror films. No problem. Thanks for asking me. If you don't already subscribe to BritFlix, just sign up for free at iTunes and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at BritFlix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you.